Ecclesiastes 9. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterwards they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favours what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labour under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the grave where you're going there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 tonight, and what are we thinking about? We're thinking about living the joy-filled life in a jaded world. How do we live the joy-filled life in a jaded world? But what marks the Christian as being different in a world of mess? It should be joy. In a world that is broken, that in a world that is full of broken people, broken relationships, broken dreams, broken minds, broken bodies, broken hearts, what marks the Christian as being different from the world should be joy. And so Martin Luther said this, he said, the Christian ought to be a living doxology, a living, a living mark of joy, a living praise towards our God. That should be the mark of each and every Christian. Why? Why should we be marked by joy? 
And whenever we talk about joy, we're not talking about some surface-level happiness. We're talking about a change deep down inside of us, a change of our entire character, something that comes out through, as it were, our very pores as we, as we go about our being. Joy because we know our Savior, a Savior who has rescued us from ourselves and from the mess of the world. That's why the Christian should have joy. Joy because we have a Savior who has forgiven every single mess that we have ever made, every mistake, every disappointing moment. Joy in knowing that we will live with Jesus, our Savior, and our friend forever. Joy in knowing that it will be okay in the end. Joy in knowing that the best is yet to come. And it's this personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the change that he has brought into our lives, being able to see the big picture of all of history and to see our part in it, to know Jesus as our personal Savior gives us new perspective, a countercultural perspective, one that puts us at odds from the world. And so very simply, as we begin to think about Ecclesiastes chapter 9, have you experienced that joy? Do you know that joy tonight? Have you experienced it in your life? Because the scene of the world is a bleak one, isn't it? The background background music of the world is one of melancholy. All that the world is doing as it it seeks for joy, as it tries to find it, 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 it clings on to things like living for the weekend, living for the promotion, chase the dreams, find the best experiences, but... There's no enduring joy. Instead, all they have is fleeting flecks of happiness. Happiness that comes and then it vanishes. And the world, and perhaps you know this as well, before you became a Christian, you you long for that, don't you? You long for something more than this fleeting flake of happiness. You long for joy. And then, as you know the Lord as Savior, it comes into your life. And the roots of this joy, the roots of this joy are found in the knowledge that we are going to be with Jesus in the end. A deep peace that the Lord brings to know that we are safe in his hand, that nothing can snatch us out of it. And so look at verse 1. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise Uh, that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. In God's hands. We're all in the Lord's hands. And if you're a Christian, that's that's a great thing, isn't it? To be in the Lord's hands is a thing that brings us joy. But to be not a Christian and in the Lord's hands, well, that's a very dangerous position, isn't it? Scriptures teach us that you are going to be under the wrath of a holy God. But for those, for those who know Jesus, who have experienced this joy, it changes everything. Romans chapter 8, 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's this knowledge that gives the believer joy. And it's this that the teacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is trying to bring to rest on our lives. But to show us this joy, first of all, what does he have to do? Well, verses 1 through 6, we have two points this evening, and this is the first. What does he have to do? He has to show us that we can't waste our lives. Don't waste your life. And so the preacher-teacher takes us, the young student, remember this image that we've been using, he takes us by the hand again and he says, I'm going to show you another lesson. I'm going to take you into another classroom, as it were. I'm going to take you on another walk. And so we go with the teacher, he takes us, and we start to walk along this path, and he starts to reflect, verse 1. All this I have led to heart. I have reflected on all of these things, all the things that he's talked about so far. He has mulled it all over. I've not just arrived at this conclusion with haste or without guidance. And as he walks, he takes us to the gates of a graveyard. It's somewhere that we've been before with the teacher. It's somewhere that he keeps taking us. But he takes us to this graveyard, and what does he do? He says to us that as we enter the gates of the graveyard and as we, as we look across all of the gravestones, he says, the Lord is sovereign. Verse 1 again, we are in the hand of God. And verse 2, death is coming to us all. Verse 2, all share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. He points to the grave, as it were, and he says, see that, see that grave? Well, the person in that grave, they were a, a righteous man. That was a righteous person. And then he points to the grave of another person and says, well, the person in that grave, they were a, a wicked person. They were a wicked man. But see how death, young students, see how death has leveled us all? What's the difference now? Well, there's no difference. They're both dead. And so verse 3, the same event, the same destiny happens to all. It overtakes all. Death is the great leveler. No one escapes it. And so we all have our stories, don't we? We all have people in our lives that we have lost. Death has come close to all of us in this room. So whenever death comes to a family, whenever you lose a loved one, the question that we have is why? In our family, whenever dad's brother is killed in a car accident in his late 20s? Why? And whenever mom dies in her 50s, why? And whenever my granda dies in the 70s, the question doesn't change, sure it doesn't, why? 
Why does this happen? Verse 3. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The teacher takes us to the graveyard, and he takes his seat, and it's as if he puts his head in his hands, and he wells up, and he says, this is not how it was meant to be. This place, this graveyard was never meant to exist. These tombstones, they were never meant to be part of our reality. Human beings were never made to see such a sight. Human beings were never made to experience this pain and this grief and this loss. This is not how it's meant to be. And and yet, we don't sometimes understand that. And so, what we do is we construct this, what we call Christian karma. And we think that the, that the good will live long and that the bad will have their lives cut short. And that tries to uh, kind of come to the surface as an answer for us. Why do these things happen? And the teacher says, no, don't think like that. There's no, there's no actual logic in that, that the good will live long and the bad will have their lives cut short. Instead, see the grave and know your destiny, see the grave, and grapple with the knowledge that there has to be more to this life. Look at verse 12. If we haven't picked it up by this point, in verse 12, the teacher says to us, moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. The teacher loves to take us to the place of death because he knows that there there is no hiding place for us. And so he says, verse 12, as fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Death will come. Death will come to us all. Death is not far from anyone. And so the the teacher says, look at this. See it again. And and don't place your confidence in yourself. That's the teaching point here. Don't place your confidence in you and in your plans and your own ambitions, your five-year plan, the promotion that you're looking for, or whatever it is that your mind is preoccupied about. These aren't bad things. But he says, don't put your confidence there. Don't look for joy in those places. But how can you live right now with your future unsure in this way, with your uncertainty about what comes around the next corner? How can you live? You don't know what's in store. Don't waste your life. And the sad thing is, verse 3, the teacher says that the same destiny overtakes us all The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. What's he saying? This life for some is the best that it's going to get. For those who don't know Jesus, for those who haven't encountered the Savior and trusted Him, this life is actually the best that it's going to be. And they live for the evil of their hearts. They live for themselves. They live for money. They live for drugs or for sex or for immorality. They work for comfort. They pursue self-destruction. And the teacher says, 
It's madness, verse 3. It's utter madness to live like this. If you're just living for these fleeting flakes of happiness, it is madness. You're not experiencing the joy that is on offer in this world. And so in this graveyard, the teacher says, don't waste your life. Don't look for joy in the wrong places. If you do, life will pass you by and joy and contentment will evade you. Don't waste your life. And then he goes on to teach us our second point, seven through 10. Life is for living. This is the upward trajectory of Ecclesiastes. You'll be glad to hear. We're starting to climb a little bit through this, uh, through this book. You see it here, verse seven. He concludes, go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. Life is for living. You'll be glad to hear, life is for living. Uh, how can we maybe illustrate this? A few, few months ago, uh, I was able, and I shared this before and used the story in a different way, but uh, someone for my, my 30th birthday, uh, and I'm now 31, so it was a wee while ago, but someone uh, got me an experience to go and drive uh, supercars uh, down at Nuts Corner. And uh, I was able to drive a Ferrari uh, 458, which is just a beautiful car. thought I would never have that experience. But uh, you get into this Ferrari, and there's a guy sitting beside you. He's the instructor. And you're taken out on a practice lap, uh, or a couple of practice laps. And he tells you, look, this is how it's going to operate. And there's your flappy panel gearbox. And you know, there's the clutch. And there's the brake. And there's the accelerator. And it's really quite boring. You're in this lovely car, and you're just going around the corners. It's all pretty mundane. And then he lets you, as it were, loose a little bit. And you're allowed to go up the gears. You're allowed to go higher than second gear. And so you're coming down the straight, and you're maybe making it into fourth or into fifth. And you're really starting to enjoy yourself. And you think, I've reached the pinnacle. This is, this is amazing. And then, for a few extra pounds, so always something else. For a few extra pounds, he says, look... I can put this into elite sport mode for you. You think to yourself, elite sport mode? Well, this has been good so far. Of course I'm going to do that. And so he gives you a few more extra laps, and it changes everything. Once he changes the car into this elite sport mode, it's like a new level has been unlocked. Everything changes. The handling changes, the corners, the wheel spin, the sound, the acceleration. And now we're really having fun in this Ferrari. And you see... The, the, the sport mode, the extreme sport mode, that's how it's designed to be driven. Not on like the practice lap way. It's designed by the creator to, to be opened up and to enjoy all the fun of this wonderful car. And in a sense, that's what the teacher in Ecclesiastes is trying to teach us as people. To teach his young students. Don't live your life on the practice lap. Don't live your life in this mundane, low-level way. That's not how the Creator has designed you to operate. The Creator has designed you to enjoy this world, to enjoy this life, to enjoy all the small things in this life. And so, as it were, He unlocks a new level for us. He helps us to see the very reason of our existence. And so, as Christian people, what should we do? We should live life. Life is for living. Jesus said, I will come and I will give you life and give you it in its fullest sense. Christians should, should see life through the most beautiful of lenses. 
the joy of life. Look at verse 7. Go and eat your food with gladness. Christians should be the best people to attend a restaurant. We should be the, the most favorite people of chefs. Because whenever they should see Christians coming in, we should be blown away by the simplest of things. That leek soup, incredible. I've never tasted leeks like it. What did you do? Did you put in three tablespoonfuls of salt? Or how much cream did you put into this? Because it tasted amazing. And why did it taste amazing? It tasted amazing because the Lord put the ingredients on the earth and he gave me a tongue and a brain that can identify those and so I can glorify him. Verse 7, eat your bread with joy. The smell of fresh scones. Enjoy that. Right? The delight of a fresh nutty crust. I hunt for nutty crust loaves that are fresh. If you haven't caught on, shops tend to put the steel ones at the front. You have to get in behind them. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and how can you tell that it's fresh? Well, you can tell it's fresh because it's soft whenever you squeeze it. Right? Enjoy a fresh nutty crust with its unpredictable heel. You don't know how thick it's going to be. And I'm going to use this word, enjoy the euphoria of a fresh soda farl straight off the griddle. That's what, it, that's what he's saying in this verse 7. Go and eat your food with gladness. Drink. Drink your Colombian coffee your Brazilian coffee, inhale the, the, inhale the smells, savor it. Enjoy the taste of good food and good drink. Verse 9, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Enjoy intimacy if you're married. If you're single, enjoy the company of your friends. Verse 10, work hard and do it to the best of your ability. This is your life. This is the, the small things in life that the Lord has given you to enjoy. And there are many good things. This is not an exhaustive list here in Ecclesiastes 9. What could we say? We could say, start the gym. Now, that's maybe not an enjoyable thing for some people. But enjoy that feeling that you get from exercising. Buy a bicycle and start cycling and enjoy the wonderful towpath and pour it down that takes you along after trolley after trolley of Tesco's as you go along the canal. Go to the beach early and watch the sunrise. Go to the theater, learn the piano or a new instrument, visit the sick, care for the dying, bake something new, enjoy a nice meal, gather friends to your house. I know some people in church were running a half marathon at the weekend. Run a half marathon and give God the glory. Run a full marathon. Write a letter. Spend an afternoon, young people, with your parents. If you've got the space and the ability, adopt a child. Give people generous gifts. Play with your children, parents. Laugh with your work colleagues. Encourage someone. Pray for someone. What's the point? See life. Live life. And live it the way God has designed it to be lived. Do these things and enjoy them. And as you do them, bring glory to Jesus. This is the key element. We started off talking about joy. This should exude from us. Joy in the things that the Lord has given to us. And here's what David Gibson, we have been referring to David Gibson throughout our, our series in Ecclesiastes. David Gibson says this. He says, food and drink, 
love and sex, work and beauty, these things become even more enjoyable when we paint them into our lives knowing that one day they will pass. If we try and hold on to them or worship them, then we will find that we are chasing after wind. But they're to be enjoyed, he says, because soon they will pass. The first words that a little one speaks, the first steps that they enjoy, it's like they're small and then they're big overnight. Those moments that you have maybe with your parents, that you're able to enjoy a walk with them while they're able, those moments will pass all too soon. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, the teacher says, verse 9, enjoy life. Enjoy it. Get the joy that God has for you in it. And the wise person will understand this, this new perspective. They'll understand it. They'll understand the death scene of verses 1 through 6, and then look at verses 11 through 17. In verses 11 through 17, the Christian will be able to see this, that that there's a topsy-turviness to life, a topsy-turviness to life. That verses 11 to 17, look at what the teacher says. He says, the race is not always won by the swift, or the battle isn't always won by the strong, nor nor does food always come to the wise. It's not always the the smart person, the intellectual person who will have the best salary. Wealth doesn't always come to those who are brilliant. Sometimes it comes to those who aren't very good at all, or favor to the learned. He's saying that life's really the wrong way around. There's, There's lots of things the wrong way around, and the teacher is trying to say to us, this world is broken. The graveyard in the opening verses, and then this mixed up inverted life in in verses 11 and 12. This world is not the way the designer created it to be in the beginning. But because of sin, things are broken. People die. The fast will not always win. The strong don't always conquer, and so the world is out of kilter. It's out of kilter. And yet there's something for us here, isn't there? Look, look at verse 15. Uh, commentators differ over this, and we're not really sure if this is a, a very faint and fuzzy echo of Jesus. But in verse 15, there was found in this city a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered him. The poor man whom the city despised, this poor man and His wisdom delivered the city and all who would trust in him. If it is or if it isn't a distant fuzzy echo of Jesus, the point still stands that the teacher is pointing us beyond this mortal life to our God. And we have to take Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and we have to take it to Jesus because this is how we live the wise life. This is how we don't waste our life. This is how we live the best life, the joy-filled life. This is how we get the most out of life, when we live it the way the Creator designed for us to live, in relationship with Him. Understanding that every good and perfect gift, James says, comes from the hand of our God. And so is the world broken? Yes, it is. But Jesus has promised to sort that out. 
And between now and then, Christian, you can have joy. Joy because you know again, verse 1, that you're in the Father's hand. Joy because you know the good things, verse 7, of this world. Look at verse 8, the simple things again of joy. Verse 8, he's saying, wear clean clothes. Enjoy clean clothes. Enjoy the fresh bed sheets. You know that feeling whenever you get in and everything's lovely and fresh. Enjoy that. Enjoy the feeling of putting on new socks for the first time. Verse 8, and always anoint your head with oil. If you have a favorite perfume or a favorite aftershave, wear it. Enjoy the fragrance. Enjoy the smell. And it's through this joy, as we understand that, as we get joy from the simple things that God has given to us as Christian people, as we live our lives in a joy-filled manner, living life the way it's meant to be lived, then people will be attracted to Jesus. Because they'll realize that this, this whole other level of life has been unlocked, the way the designer has created it to be. And for those who don't know Jesus, it's again to use that illustration, it's as if they're driving around the circuit in the practice lap. They're missing all of life, all the joy that, that Jesus can give them, the fullness of life. The Christian can live with real joy. Whatever God gives, and whenever He does not give, we will still be content and trust. Here's what Calvin says, and we're almost done. Calvin says this. It'll come up on the screen. He says, there's nothing in afflictions which ought to disturb our joy. There's nothing in afflictions that ought to disturb our joy. You see, as Christians, it's not these flakes of happiness. It's this deep joy, this joy that is rooted in who our Savior is and what's in store for us. This joy of knowing that we're in the Father's hand and, and that we're in the Son's hand and nothing can snatch us out of it. We're living a joyful life because we know it's all going to be okay in the end. Now, whatever happens... Now, we're in Jesus' hand. And so, I, I came across this story this week of a missionary servant in the Middle East. Uh, and they wrote this letter back home whenever this missionary was enduring a particularly hard time. And I think this will help us see how it changes our perspective, how this message changes our perspective. Here's what the missionary wrote. Deep spiritual oppression and harassment. This is their experience. Deep spiritual oppression and harassment. And here's the response. Privileged to shine as stars in an inky black night. They're in the Middle East. They're under oppression and harassment. And what's their response? Privileged to shine as stars in, in an inky black night. The next bullet point, they write, wallet and phone stolen. Response, great reminders that our lives are not our own. Car stopped working. Response, no longer do we need to have the expense of a car. Tight and challenging times facing us. Response, many opportunities to prayerfully trust Him. Next bullet point, a cold apartment. I have the flu. Response, thank the Lord for hot drinks and blankets and prayers that warm me up. 
stamped with joy. Living life wisely. Joy pouring out of the believer at every corner, at every turn, at every opportunity, even, even in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. Oppression, then I can shine brightly. My phone's been stolen. Well, my life's not my own. The car stopped working. Well, sure, I'll save a few pounds on petrol. It's tight and challenging times for us. I'll trust the Lord. And I have, a, I have the flu. Thank the Lord for whoever decided to weave a blanket. See how it changes us? Living life thankfully, thankful for our many blessings, content with what we have. And so my question as we close is, have you experienced this life, the joy-filled life, knowing that everything in the end will be okay? Yes, there's going to be difficulty. Yes, there's going to be sorrow and brokenness this side of glory. But knowing our Savior means that we know that it will be okay in the end. And maybe you're not a Christian and you've been searching for this true life. You've been searching and trying to make sense of it at all. Your life is not adding up. You're weary of life. Well, hear the passion of this teacher. Hear his call. In Ecclesiastes 9, listen to this lesson. Live wisely by knowing Jesus as your Savior. Don't waste your life. Live joyfully then and not cynically enjoying the small things that the Father gives us and live with Jesus and not without Him. And for us as Christians, perhaps tonight our spectacles have needed cleaned, have needed a cleaning because we've let the fog and the dust of this world cloud our vision of our wonderful God. Well, tonight would we see Him again and see the joy that He brings to us and would we rest secure in His hand getting joy from the small moments in life, living a joy-filled life, a changed life, and then praying that other people would see Jesus in us. See Jesus in you as you respond to life circumstances. As Peter says, we, in First Peter, we suffer various trials if necessary, but they're only for a moment. And then there's an inheritance kept for us, undefiled and unfading. This is the Christian life, to live life and to live it joyfully because we know our Savior. And with these words we close, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Therefore I tell you, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? For the Gentiles then seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you.